0: I decided that i wanted to do either an app or a website i had all these great ideas but no clients or i wasn't training anybody online yet and so it actually took me two and a half years before i uh, I got my first international clients Uh, i had to open my own little studio space with local clients and then i took these clients uh, and started the online school of exercise with their videos and
1: Hi everyone, I'm Oliver Crow, a second grade student and an aspiring
0: YouTuber, and you're listening to the Vans Crow Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we talk to kinesiologist and personal trainer Alex Bernier. Alex is a curious character. I found him on Twitter as he was posting all these pictures of him doing exercises with very precise motion, or he would show the muscular skeletal system, and I would be able to see some of these ideas that I've heard my wife talk about, but have never actually seen the diagrams to make it come to life for me. So, longtime listeners of the podcast know that. My wife is a physical therapist with extremely exacting standards, and so I've always looked at Alex's stuff with a little bit of suspicion, but every time I read and watch what he's doing, I come to the understanding of why I can't put my arms straight up in the air or why I don't have the flexibility to bend down the way that I used to when I was younger. Alex is a soft-spoken guy, but he has so much to say about how you can introduce yourself to exercise, what he does to overcome the voice of resistance. And since he's in Canada, we even talk about why he's excited about what's going on in places like Texas and Florida, because it's informing what the citizenry can push back on in the government of Canada. So we're going to get to this interview in just a moment. But I wanted to let you, the listener, know about a project that I started a few months ago that has exploded with popularity. What I do is people that sign up for a newsletter that I put on our Connections page get a reminder once a week that says, hey, this is a type of person that you should reach out to and say something about how you got to know them or what you admire about them or what makes them special. I include an example of a person that I wrote with this similar sort of prompt and I give some writing tips about how to make these sorts of emails easier to write. Now the effect of this has been people have been been reaching out to members of their network or people that they've always wanted to reach out to, but never had a reason to. And I am getting a flood of positive feedback, people that are so grateful that we're doing this, that they say thank you to me all the time. So I wanted to extend that to you, the podcast listener. If you're interested in getting a connections prompt once a week in your email that gives you a person to reach out to, gives you some advice on how to do it, and then somebody that'll be super excited to hear how it goes. I would love it if you signed up for the connections email. All you have to do is go to vancecrow.com slash connections and sign up with your email. And once a week, you'll get a prompt that'll get you to start this wonderful activity over the next year. You will be amazed at what will happen to your life if you can keep finding ways to pump positive energy into your network. You have no idea where it will lead, but I assure you it will be somewhere positive. All right. Without further ado, let's get to my interview with my man, Alex Bernier. Alex Bernier, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Vance. I'm happy to be here.
1: You are a prolific Twitterer. You, uh, you put out these graphics and uh, images of people doing exercise that are so good. I can't even tell you the number of them that I have sent to my wife to be like, hey, you need to, you need to do this too. How in the world did you get so good at posting uh, imagery on Twitter?
0: Well, I love writing. So Twitter has been the platform for me. I was on Instagram, I was on Facebook and, you know, it wasn't really working out. And I just started a Twitter account and just the mix of writing and then finding, you know, a a nice image or something that's catchy, uh, just sort of worked out. And then I've just, I saw what worked and I've been building on that ever since
1: So you are um, an exercise guy, you really show people how to do movements correctly, and this is really close to my heart because before I turned like 35, it didn't matter how I did exercises, I could do them whatever way I wanted, no problem, but then you hit a certain point where anytime you do something even slightly wrong, all of a sudden things start breaking down. So uh, this is an interesting field, like uh, tell me your background, how did you get into doing exercise and how did you become so precise at the movements?
0: Well, I played uh, ice hockey when I was younger, like most uh, Canadian boys. And uh, it's a very physical sport, very fast, uh, especially once you, uh, once you turn 14 years old, you start hitting. And uh, so I didn't have a choice. I was a lanky, skinny kid. And uh, I really had to hit the gym in order to get bigger and start making the better teams and also not get uh, destroyed on the ice. So that was my first sort of introduction to working out. But uh, actually thinking back, my father was the first person I ever saw work out as a kid. And I was super young. And I remember we were at a hotel and he was training at the hotel gym. And I saw him working out and I was like, I want to do that too. And I remember ever since wanting to join a gym. So that sort of helped me push into it. And then because of hockey, it gave me a, that extra purpose. And so I did become a better athlete. I got bigger. I got more muscle mass. And so obviously that sort of keeps you motivated. Uh, and then one time I just started training a good friend of mine. And uh, he got results too. And I was like, "Ah, I like that. I really like, uh, I enjoyed it. So I got a personal training certification. Uh, Then I studied kinesiology uh, in university and uh, started working at a gym and uh, have been doing it ever since. Now I'm doing it on my own. Uh, But uh, yeah, so... Working the world with of personal
1: anybody. training is uh, is is the Wild West, right? There's all kinds of people out there saying, "Hey, I'll give you a certification and this is the right way to do it." And then you've got people going out and trying to set up their own gyms and then doing it inside of health clubs. what do you what do you know now about being a personal trainer and kind of what that term means to people that you didn't know before you got started?
0: It's such a broad tough, uh, such a broad job. Uh, you know, you could specialize yourself in athletes, uh, people in pain, people that want to get super lean. that want to look like fitness models. Uh, I was very confident when I graduated from school. I thought that I, I knew everything that I needed to know. And then once I started working with real clients, breathing human beings, uh, everything I knew was, you know, out the window and I had to sort of get good at dealing with people. So it's really, uh, and you know, it's kind of a a cliche to say this, but you're also, you also kind of become their, their therapist. You know, some people spend more time with you than they do with their family or their wives. You know, you see someone five, five hours a week. uh, That's a lot of time that you get to spend with someone. And so it really is about not only knowing what you're talking about, but also being able to express it and then being able to deal with the individual in front of you who might be, depressed, anxious, uh, you know, has all sorts of problems going on. And then when they're in the gym with you, you have to be able to motivate them. And obviously exercise is something that requires a lot of time to generate results. So you got to keep them motivated for for a long period of time. And so that's, you know, it's not just about training and exercise. It's also about psychology. And it's just been such a a wild ride in terms of learning because I've had to sort of get good at so many different things, including business, including psychology, including uh, continue my knowledge on the human body and the brain. So it's just, uh, I'm I'm still a student, even though it's been uh, over 10 years. I think, you know, motivation
1: is one of those things that that, that's like something you realize about a personal trainer very early on is a large part of their job is motivation. But a, a big thing that's really difficult for a personal trainer is you've got to help people not to lie to themselves. Because it's very easy for somebody to do a really hard workout five days a week and then go home and eat really, really well, except for after eight o'clock when they have some drinks. So they start eating ice cream and they're not really being honest with themselves. And so therefore they can't be honest with you about all these cheating things they're doing. And yet they're still, because they're lying to themselves, the frustration that they're not making gains, that they're not getting the progress. Tell me about the, the deeper inner world of, of motivation that's harder to see.
0: It's, uh, the responsibility is a little asymmetrical in the sense that my, you know, the success of my work with somebody depends on them doing a specific list of things, right? And then, like you said, you, know, you, start, uh, you have a couple of drinks, you'll have ice cream, and, and they're actually pretty honest about it. They'll tell you and almost laugh about it, or sometimes they might not tell you and, and lie to you. But uh, it's, you know, I have to become the person that motivates them to do all these things that they know are wrong for them to, to do them less or to stop doing them at all, if that's what they need. And so it's, you know, that's why I talked about psychology before is I have to really make it mean something to them. But then even then, sometimes the person just doesn't have that inner motivation. And, it's, and that's one of the biggest challenges that I've faced as a, a personal trainer, an exercise professional. Is being able to deal with their, you know, their all the the bad habits, so to speak, that they have back home, and you know, it, at the end of the day, becomes my responsibility. And if it doesn't work out, then it's my training or it's my I, I didn't I wasn't able to motivate them. So that's why it's 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 a little difficult to to juggle that.
1: It's a funny thing because, uh, on this podcast, we talk about the voice of resistance, right? That voice that, you know, maybe you go running a couple of times in a row and then the third morning you wake up and you're a little sore and you're like, you know what? You worked out really hard last week. You know, you don't have to do it this week. Right. But the, the challenge with the voice of resistance for the person that you're training is like, they maybe don't get the results that they want. But for you, if you listen to the voice of resistance, like all of a sudden you won't represent the thing that, that people are coming to you for. Like, do you have a different relationship with the voice of resistance than, than just regular people?
0: Well, it's, it's definitely uh, an extra incentive, right? In the sense that I have to practice what I preach, or most of it at least, uh, because otherwise, you know, people aren't going to come to me. If I look, uh, if I'm hurt and I can't train and then, you know, I don't look like I, I work out, it's, it's superficial, but people aren't going to be sort of attracted to my service. And so that's why I really, if I don't do it, then it's, it's my livelihood, it's my job that I won't be able to do properly. So it, it definitely is motivating for myself, but also my own experience with exercise, right? I wanna, I wanna get stronger, I, wanna, I wanted to fix my sleep back when I was insomniac. And so all these different things have motivated me to fix them and that sort of creates an energy where it passes off to my my clients or my students. And you know they it's like I said I, I practice what I preach because it's mostly because I need it too. I'm also I'm also a human being and if I don't exercise, if I don't work out, if I don't sleep well, my everything goes down the toilet. So I have that as a motivation as well.
1: You know, you reminded me of the sleep Twitter thread that you put out. You actually wrote that at the same time that I had finally maybe for three straight weeks gotten to bed at the same time every day. And uh, it had really been a huge thing. So to see your Twitter thread about how you fought through insomnia really meant a lot to me because I don't think people realize just how difficult it is to get good sleep hygiene. But once you get it, the the tremendous gift it is to your life, it's, it's better than almost anything else. You never so want to go back. So, so talk about that Twitter thread and kind of your battle with insomnia. Because, I mean, really, you're, it seemed horrible. I don't know what I would have mm-hmm. done had I experienced what you went through.
0: Well, just as far as I can remember, as a kid, I had trouble sleeping. Uh, I remember going to sleep over at a friend's house, and I'd always be the last one to fall asleep. If I fell asleep, sometimes I would just not fall asleep at all. Uh, it started getting really bad in high school, uh, where because I guess there was additional stress. Uh, I was playing on uh, two different hockey teams getting my grades up, uh, you know, the whole, the usual stressors for, for a teenager. And then uh, in college, you know, you're, you're partying in college. I was partying maybe four or five nights a week. So I was kind of, I didn't really realize it, but then once I graduated and I started getting personal training clients at six in the morning, then my insomnia became really problematic because it was affecting my performance. Obviously I'm somebody that has to motivate my client, but if I hadn't slept the, the night before, it's very, very difficult to, 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 be, to get into that state. And so uh, I took, you know, it, it took about two and a half to three years, but I, I did, you know, change my nutrition, change my habits. I did a whole bunch of different things. And, and now I, I fall asleep when my head hits the pillow. And that's the best feeling that I've ever gotten in my life. Uh, you know, uh, it was just my energy levels, my mood, my, my, my mental acuity. Everything is just top notch because I'm sleeping well, and so now I I, I get sleepy at 8:30, 9 p.m. at night, you know, and and I still go out, I still have a social life, but I try to I try to fall asleep at the same time, and I I always wake up at the same time as well.
1: And so, what were the the habits in particular that you think really pushed you over the edge to be able to have that? Because I think that thing that you just described, I fall asleep as soon as my head hits the pillow, is the dream that. Many, many people have, they, they would love to be able to do that, but it's, it's like a pipe dream to them.
0: Yeah. Uh, the number one thing was, and like I said, I had graduated from university, so I started getting a regular schedule of clients at the gym that I was working at at the time. And so starting at 6am, I was living in the suburbs, so it was about a 30 minute drive to the gym downtown. And so I would have to wake up at, for the first time in my life at 4.30, 5 in the morning to get there and get ready in time. And so that kind of forced me to start going to bed at the same time every night. And and the second that you start getting a routine, you start teaching your body how to wind down at the end of the day. And so obviously I had to do, you know, cut screens at night. Uh, I was taking uh, magnesium as a supplement, which is the anti-stress nutrient. Uh, I was exercising in the morning even though I didn't have that much energy, I found that exercising in the morning kept my energy at acceptable levels throughout the day. Uh, but then, even for a while, I would get to bed and then have more energy than I did than I had throughout the whole day. But eventually, you know, as I kept doing these different habits, uh, it just started. I started falling asleep, and it was great. But like I said, it took two to three years, and it was frustrating at first because I wanted it to work right away, but. I just kept going and it eventually fixed itself.
1: Yeah, so <clears throat> I run a network called the Articulate Ventures Network, and each month we choose different uh, experiences to do as a group. So, like, we did the Sober October, which was kind of generic but really interesting. And I found out from that through my sleep that if I don't drink alcohol, I feel a lot better. Like, it took a little longer to go to sleep at night, but like, if I don't have a couple glasses of wine or you know, some beer or whatever, then it's easier for me to wake up in the morning. But it wasn't until we did this exercise where we were like, "All right, everybody, just choose a time that you." going to bed and then do that every single night for 30 days, that then all of a sudden you realize like, wait a second, just going to bed at the same time every night made me feel even better than not having any alcohol in, uh, before I went to bed. So it was like a, a huge leap forward. And, and like, it didn't take that long for it to happen where you start being like, why isn't anybody talking about this? It, it almost seems like, uh, you know, we're colluding against us. And then you think about it, like it really is Netflix. Their goal is to make it so you don't go to sleep, right? They want you to stay up and watch television's never going to sit there and be like, you know, you really should go to bed now. And so you start thinking like, it's not this necessarily a conspiracy against you, but everything else is stacked against um, the attention that you would give it instead of your sleep.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, our physiology works in cycles, right? Our circadian rhythms. So by creating this regularity to your day, especially for going to bed, you're sort of regulating your physiological cycles as well, right? No matter what, if you go to bed, unless you're, you're an insomniac like me and you end up having more energy when you try to go to sleep. Uh, just relaxing, being in the dark, everything starts to calm down. And then eventually you just sink into your sleep.
1: Yeah. You know, the, and I don't know if they have this, if it was in Canada where they would say people should count sheep, you know, jumping over. And I remember that that being like such a silly kind of roll your eyes. But when you think about it from the meditation perspective to hold your mind on one thing for a hundred counts is nearly impossible. And if you really are focusing on that, it is a form of meditation. I was I was really surprised at the times because I had a friend one time say, oh, when I don't fall asleep, this is what I do is I count sheep. And I was like, aha, that's crap. But then you try, like actually try and do it. And whatever you were, whatever, at least for me, the only thing that keeps me up now is if I'm stressing on something, if I'm like, oh, I can't figure out why that's not working. And I just keep rolling it over in my head. Now I do the counting sheep thing and it actually genuinely works, which is a funny thing to learn.
0: Well, it's like you said, meditation, right? You're focusing on one thing. Uh, Meditation helped a lot. Uh, I only started meditating a bit later after I had to fix my sleep. But what it did is just improve the quality of my sleep uh, significantly. And it's also because uh, mindful meditation is a lot about breathing, right? And breathing is one of the central regulators of your body for every other function. And so by controlling your breathing, you indirectly access these different physiological functions, such as uh, attention, such as uh, switching to sleep mode. And so that helped me. uh, I can't even say how much. It's tremendous.
1: It's hilarious. I remember reading one, one of your Twitter threads about breathing. And I remember being like, you became like a dragon to me. I started avoiding your stuff because I was like, I think he's right. I probably do need to work on the breathing, but I think sitting down to work on breathing will be harder than it was for me to learn how to lift weights or how to run because it's like, um, it's 100% the voice of resistance. It's just like, do you really have time to do this? Is breathing really that important? So what's your best pitch? Why, why is, uh, why are breathing exercises important and what did it change in you once you really figured out how to breathe? I mean, everybody knows how to breathe. So why, why do you, why are you doing a Twitter thread on that?
0: Well, because the, the part of the brain that regulates and controls breathing is also the same part of the brain that controls all your other unconscious functions like heart rate, like uh, attention, posture, all these different things. And so, like I said, by, by breathing, by doing focused breathing, you're stimulating that part of the brain. And so indirectly, that part of the brain is going to be doing a better job at controlling all the other functions. Right. Breathing is life. Breathing is the central component of our life. So you have to, by doing it, you're getting all these other essential functions to to sort of work in, in synchrony. And
1: so what was it like? What's the path for somebody to take if they want to really improve the way that they breathe?
0: The first thing I did was to focus on nose breathing during my workouts. So, and, and at first it was so difficult, I would try. And then after one set, I'd have to, <clears throat> I'd start panting through my mouth and, and breathing through your nose is a lot better because you do have, uh, you have more filters and you get a better oxygen absorption into all your tissues. So by doing it, you, and, and, and it was crazy because I couldn't feel, it was like a ab workout for me, trying to contr- try to only breathe through my nose after a set. And then after you know maybe a few sessions, I was able to, uh, to make it through the whole workout without opening my mouth. And one way that you can do that is to take a sip of water and hold it and only breathe through your nose, and you can't breathe through your mouth, because if you do, the water will, will come out. So that was the first one I did. And then obviously I started feeling just a lot more, a lot better because what you end up doing is you become more focused, but without increasing your stress levels. So you have that focused feeling, but at the same time, you're calm. So your focus is enhanced. And yeah. I started re- I started researching a lot more, you know, different exercises. And, and there's actually a lot of uh, scientific research that's been done on the matter. And that's why I was like, okay, that's a good, uh, that's a good Twitter thread. And uh, have you walked
1: some, any of your clients uh, up this path of breathing? Like, have you gotten anybody to be like, yeah, let's do a whole workout where all we do is breathe through our nose?
0: Yeah, a few. Yeah. When, and and I, I talk about breathing to, to most of my clients too. Like I said, it's just a central component to not just uh, health, but performance. So, uh, and and by breathing through your nose, you get better core activation when you're doing, let's say squats or chin-ups. So it's just, it enhances and they feel it too. So it, it helps them uh, get motivated to sort of sit down and do the specific breathing exercises on their own
1: man i'm just sitting here trying to breathe through my nose and i keep thinking like i don't know i don't know how much longer i can do this i'm gonna i'm gonna black out. but it really does get better <laughs> better as you go
0: uh yeah oh, it, it's more you get more uh, activity of the diaphragm so right now it's just uh when it's when you breathe through your mouth you're breathing through your neck you're trapped your your chest so it's a lot more it's a lot tighter breathing through your nose is a lot deeper and uh, you're getting more diaphragm which is your main breathing muscle so uh, it's like training. It's like training your biceps, but uh, for breathing.
1: Oh man, you're exactly right. I'm sitting here doing this, and you're exactly right. It actually pulls your uh, body in different ways. So that's one of the things I love about your stuff, man. Because I, th- I find that most of Twitter what I am there is for intellectual stimulation. You know, I want to be, um, I either want to be um, challenged in some way where somebody says something intellectually offensive, where I'm like, no, that can't be right. And then as I think about it more, I'm improved or that I see something and and I think like, why does this work? Or why is this person putting this forward? And I see that your stuff has that really, uh, honed down to a very fine art that you're always spotting things that my initial reaction is either no, Alex, I don't want to do that. Or it's one of, uh, is that right? That can't be right. No, that can't be right. So is it, are these just like, um, thoughts in your head that you have to put these Twitter down or do you actually spend real time sitting down thinking about what am I going to put out there?
0: A bit of both. Um, Obviously, I have the sort of main topics in my head, but I'm still learning about the body, about the brain, about the nervous system and everything. And so by by writing tweets and by writing threads, it helps me sort of synthesize what I'm learning. So a lot of times if I'm posting about a certain topic, it's because I've been either researching it or trying a new exercise or whatever. And then I put it together uh, as either a post or a thread, and then I try to find uh, the right image for it.
1: Yeah, I think your imagery is really what's uh, high quality. So, my wife is um, a physical therapist, and I would put her in the category of being among the best in the world. She was an aerospace engineer and just you know, very top of her class. And, uh, so I'm hyper, uh, critical of what other people put out. And I, I can't, I'm not good enough to judge your level, but I can say that the things you put out there are like, Hey, he's right. I had to learn how to hold my, uh, abs as I ran. So my hips didn't drop and like, Oh, he's totally right. I actually can't lift my arm up above my head and lift it into a straight line. Like you really have hammered on these things. And I mean, it, it actually makes me quite excited. Cause I think you are doing what my wife's field needs to do. And I'm just glad somebody's putting this stuff out there.
0: Right, right, for sure. Uh, it's, it's so different, you know, each individual is so unique, right? That the, the, the problems that you run into teaching these basic things are just, it's never the same. You know, the path is never the same for uh, specific people. So it's always a challenge to, okay, how am I gonna get this person to do what I want them to do?
1: So you are in Canada right now, and as far as I can tell, Canada is treating COVID lockdowns almost completely differently. In the U.S., things are opening up more and more every day. It's almost as though it, uh, it not that it never happened, but that the residual effects are coming off very quickly. What's going on where you're at right now?
0: Oh, well, it's, uh, I mean, you know, it's the U.S., so Canada. Where, where and... are you?
1: For, for people that don't know Canada geography very well, Where where are you right now?
0: I'm in Montreal, Quebec. Quebec is the uh, French speaking province of uh, Canada. And we are right above uh, Vermont, New York, uh, Maine. And so uh, yeah, that's where we are. And, you know, it's just uh, we're a socialist country. And I don't know if that's why the leaders have, have you know, uh, taken a gotten thirsty with their powers but uh you know i'm very grateful that the the united states are doing what they're doing because now they've lost a lot of their backing you know there's a lot of people here despite the fact that we are uh, are a lot our measures are a lot stricter uh more and more people are are starting to not rebel but you know uh, protest and you can tell that the the leaders are struggling with that and that they've lost their their upper edge so we're probably and you know this is all thanks to to places like Florida and Texas that are showing us that uh, it doesn't have to be the way that our uh, our current leaders are are telling us you know you said something I don't think
1: I've ever heard anybody say this before that that Canada is a socialist country. is that an official position or is that like your assessment of where they're at?
0: It's democratic socialism, so it's not like uh, Venezuela or uh, any of those places but uh we pay fifty uh, percent taxes on on our, on our salary, and uh, it's there's a lot of similarities with uh, with communist countries, and but it's just uh, technically more acceptable, I guess. It's it's like a, it's like one level under the bad the really bad stuff.
1: Wow, more like
0: you know, kind of like Sweden, Finland, places like that. So, I
1: mean, Quebec is an interesting place too. I mean, you, like one of the very first things you said was it's the French speaking part of the country, right? It's been a place that's been able to preserve a culture outside of the other parts of Canada because of its strict enforcement of the language.
0: And so what makes
1: this the place that you call home?
0: Well, uh, it's where I was born. Uh, other than that, I've, you know, I've been, I lived in uh in Dubai for a year and a half we start. I worked for a startup there for a, we started, we started a gym over there, an athletic center. You started so been a gym at, in Dubai? What? I wasn't, th- I was the first, I was the first employee there. Okay. First trainer that was with the, the, with the owners. So, and so, you know, I got to see you know, Dubai is like an accelerated uh, version of, uh, you know, in terms of business, there's just so much money out there that things happen a lot faster than they do, let's say here in, in Canada. So uh, I, I got to live in, in that kind of environment. And then I came back home because, you know, I had to, uh, I wanted to be with my family and, and I was helping all these people over there, but I wasn't helping the people closest to me. And so I wanted to to be there for everyone. And, you know, it's, it's my home, but I'm, I, I would definitely, I, I love to travel and I always have. So I'm, and the fact that my, my business now, the online school of exercise can be done from anywhere. And I've, I've lived that over the last year. Uh, I have no problem with being, you know, uh, six months there or another six months there. And then, but always keeping, you know, it's really, it's family that that keeps me here. It's that my, my family and my, my close friends are, are all here.
1: I want to get to the online school of exercise, but I, before we leave the Dubai concept, like, were people coming in in regular sports workout or were you dealing with people in, you know, like chic, shake outfits and and having to put away their robes and and things like that before they started working out?
0: We had a lot of expat clients. So I had American clients, uh, British uh, from all over the world. But then we did have some some local clients uh, and they come in their you know, their white, uh, their white suit and then they change. They get changed to normal fitness clothes. And um, we had one one woman that, that would train with us. And then she would have, uh, she, her head was covered and, uh, but she would, she would be in like a, a training, you know, a training outfit a training variation of their uh, burqa. So,
1: so, uh, when you came back to the U S or no, to Canada, sorry, what, uh, is that when you started the online school of exercise?
0: Yeah. Well, it didn't work out with the, with the startup. So I came home, you know, I went there expecting, I'm going to live there for the rest of my life, make tons of money in Dubai. And then it didn't work out. And I came home a year and a half later and I was like, you know what I I could, I want to start my own company. Now I saw how it was done. And I also saw what it was like to open a gym, which had been my original career path, my, my, my dream, sort of speak that, okay, I want to own my own gym. But then I saw, What it was like to open a gym and i just saw how many other gyms there were and what the competition was like and you know back then social media fitness was starting this was like early 2010 and i decided that i wanted to do either an app or a website i had all these great ideas but no clients or i wasn't training anybody online yet and so it actually took me two and a half years before i uh, I got my first international clients Uh, I had to open my own little studio space with local clients and then I took these clients uh, and started the online school of exercise with their videos and, you know, the concept of it, of uh, them being able to get a program from me through my website is what started it all. And then eventually, you know, through Twitter, I made my first client from New York and uh, now I have clients in India, Europe, uh, all over the map. It's, It's great.
1: So let's talk about what an online school of exercise is there. Cause I think a lot of people picture a a personal trainer as somebody that's like, come on, come on, lift it, go, go, go. Are you doing that with them?
0: Uh, Some of them. uh, And and I'm not, that's just not my style really, (laughs) but uh, some of them pay for uh, live sessions. Right. But the online platform allows me to tailor a service that is, you know, based on their budget, based on their needs uh, I get a lot more flexibility than say having to my own place and then having people come to me so it 's some people use live sessions and some people some clients i 've never spoken to uh, by voice it 's just all done by email and uh, sometimes you don 't hear about them for a bit and you 're wondering how they 're doing and then a month later it 's like oh i love the, I love the workout i 've gotten great results and then just every month it 's a new workout so it 's just uh, I have a lot more flexibility to create a service, uh, that is suited for the person.
1: So tell me about the type of person that decides they want to do an online, um, you know, coach, like in the way that you are.
0: Uh, it's a lot of, uh, I'd say people from 25 to I have clients that are about in their, in their mid forties, fifties, a little, a little older. And, uh, a lot of people who they want to get in shape, they want to start, uh, they're either hurt and they They know they want to, they know they have to exercise, but they can't because they're hurt. So, and then there's, there's students, there's uh, there's people that are already good at working out, but that they're, that are stuck somewhere. They they've reached a plateau. And so I help them with that. And it's just a, it's a pretty wide range of, uh, of students.
1: And then, uh, the, like uh, they have the same res- response rate as when you're in a regular gym. Sometimes people keep showing up for more. Sometimes they don't. Like, what's the what's the feel like of what you're doing since everything is remote?
0: You get a lot of the same issues that you have with real personal training, uh, but you you have people that that you know catch on and they love it and and they just uh, I'm able to keep them longer than if I had been selling them you know big packages in my gym so to speak, because now they're, they're, they're taking like a, not a watered down program, but they're taking a, a, or they're taking a course with me. That is, you know, it doesn't have to be three meetings a week for six months. We only speak once a month. And then it's, so it's, they, they have to pay a little less money. They get to pay a little less money, but then because of that, they're able to stay for a year with me. And that's, uh, in terms of personal training or getting results, you, you'd rather keep someone for a year than having someone you know, pay a lot of money for one month and then just disappear off the map.
1: Yeah, exercise is uh, far more about consistency than it is about intensity. So people will mm-hmm. get far further and they will, uh, they will be a walking billboard for you if, they are, if they've stayed in for a year as opposed to just doing one really hard month.
0: Even, one, even three years, I'd say. Three to five years is a realistic uh, time frame to get the results that you want out of the gym. And, and not a lot of people talk about that, right? Uh, social media, fitness is 90 days, uh, 30 days, all these, these short challenges and then people get hyped up and they expect, you know, they follow people that have been training for 20 years, 15 years, and who are marketing diets or exercise plans and whatever, and they look like fitness models. And so people sign on to different programs expecting, to look like that after one month. And it's just, it doesn't make sense. You, you know, you have to train for at least three to five years before you start really getting some, some excellent results. And of course, there's always a small percentage of people that will get really fast results. Right. But for most people, and that's why I called it the school of exercises because it's like, you want to finish high school you want to finish university. It takes time. You need the, you know, you need three, three to five years. I've had clients that have been there for, for eight years.
1: I think this is exactly right. I mean, the biggest improvement that I had from lifting and I started a long time ago was range of motion and my ability to move in my everyday life. Like if somebody had told me, hey, the thing that you're going to want when you're about 40 years old is the ability to, uh, you know, bend down or be able to squat down and pick up your child or play with her without going. But that was not something that could have been done in three months. I I had to improve hip range, ankle range, uh, how strong my knee were, whether I lifted myself up from my quads. And really, when you think about it, the whole benefit of, be, of being a lifter or somebody that knows how to exercise is your ability to do everyday ex- activities. Not, it's not the ability to exercise better. It's the ability to live better. And I think that you're exactly right. Like that three, four year timeline seems about right to me.
0: Yeah, even more, right? Uh, I've been training for, I've been training myself for, for 20 years now. And I'm still learning and I still have some some challenges and I'm still I still have some weaknesses that I need to fix. So you have to look at it as a long term project or else uh, or else you're going to get super excited. You're going to want very fast, short term results. But then once you don't get those results, right, you're going to you're going to lose motivation and then and just give up. So if you start your exercise process thinking, okay, I'm in this for the long run, I'm going to expect at least three to five years. It just changes your whole perspective.
1: I think so. I, uh, I one time decided I was going to run 500 miles and you get a lot more humble about how many miles, how many miles is a good run when you're like, Hey, I got to get this whole thing done. It doesn't do me any good to go run 50 today and then have to walk for three months. (laughs) Like it's a lot better to try and uh, do it in a a regulated pace. But I think you're right. People like no one has that conversation about how long it takes. And if you went to a personal trainer at a gym and said, yeah, you know, what's the time horizon? They're Gonna give you a 60 90 whatever they think you know can hold your attention but the reality is is yeah it's years yeah so what do you think of this uh, big movement that I'm seeing going on all around me I'm in my nearly my 40s and I've started seeing a lot of guys starting to take uh, tea and uh, whether they're doing it with going into a doctor's office and getting a shot or rubbing creams on them or whatever what like I remember when I was a kid, they told us that all this stuff was gonna, you know, end in hell and damnation if you do it. Is that still the case? Is it still dangerous to take tea, or is this something we've transcended?
0: Uh, well, it's it's a very complex topic, and uh, I'm I'm always a proponent of uh, you know developing being able to keep your hormones and everything at optimal levels through food through lifestyle and but a lot of people don't necessarily have that uh, the motivation. And so for a lot of, and, you know, it does uh, in a lot of cases improve the quality of their lives. So who am I to say that they shouldn't be doing it, uh, but it's just, but then you kind of become dependent on, on the, the treatment to get it. And, you know, there, there are plenty of people in their forties and fifties that that are able to live a, a high quality of life without having to get, the injections or the, the the creams or whatever you know they do it through food they do it through sleep, but again, some uh, most people don't they don't really care they don't want to sleep it's just they'll take the easier route.
1: And do you know of uh, like so the people I talk to that are doing it now are like yeah the side effects we pretty much got them under control. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Has there been enough like bodybuilders and people doing that? Like I was always into the impression that you would eventually grow breasts and lose all your hair. But I mean, like I also you know when I was in the Dare program in in middle school, I thought if you smoked one joint, you were yeah. dead on the street and you'd be homeless. And like so, I don't know what to believe here.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I'm I'm in the same, but I know people who who are taking who are taking anabolic steroids. Uh, I know I, I've had some clients who. Took uh, t- uh, testosterone later in life, and they're still doing all right. Uh, the they, like they, the, it's like you. They said that the s- side effects were controlled. So again, who am I to to judge that decision? Uh, only time will tell what really happens. I don't know anybody personally that's died from it, that's gotten uh, you know all the heart attacks or whatever, but. I can't say it I can't say that there aren't bad side effects either because I'm sure some people have done it and, and have gotten horrible outcomes from it.
1: I think this is going to grow tremendously in the next couple of years. And, and like the photo that you always see on Twitter is the Jeff Bezos when he's like a little nerd guy and he doesn't have good posture. And then the next time he looks like Mr. Clean walking off yeah. a helicopter or something. And you're like, whoa, what did that guy do? Yeah, well, he has I, access to the best. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about what you think the future of, of uh, exercise is. What, is. what are changes that are coming down the pipeline that you think, you know, right now, not many people are doing, but they will be in the future?
0: Well, home gyms uh, are going to be a big thing and I already are over the last year. You know, uh, a lot of my clients had to adapt their situation where they were training in a gym. And then all of a sudden, all the gyms were closed, so they had to start equipping their their homes and figure out the space. You know, some of my clients live in small apartments; others have plenty of space for a home gym. So, a lot more people are going to be equipping either their garage or their what a room in their house for you know to, to, just in case something like that happens again. And that's something that COVID triggered. So, a lot more people will be training from home. Uh, virtual reality will probably be a thing. I mean, I'm I'm starting to look into it because. You know, what if I can be with the client, what if I can be with my client in uh, Missouri or or California or India, but then also see how they're moving and be able to show them through virtual reality. So for me, uh, that's going to be a big thing.
1: Yeah, I think VR is probably several years away from that being the the case. But I think you're right about it. Like, um, so what I did for a couple of months during COVID was uh, I'd work out my regular Monday through through Thursday. Then Friday, I would do a virtual reality exercise. So I would take a different program and and do it. So whether it was a boxing one or running one, and uh, I I think that VR is not yet there with the exercise. Like it's just like too cumbersome or too something but there's no doubt in my mind that it will be far far easier to get people to strap on their headset and go do a boxing match or a kickboxing match or you know some some other activity that uh, normally they would have to drag themselves to doing in front of like a two-dimensional tv so i definitely see where that is and and as far as like training and exercise being able to see a person like you, being able to watch how their movement is going. Like, is that ankle coming up off the ground? Or, you know, is that heel, is that really stable? I think that's gonna be a game changer for you guys.
0: Yeah, of course. And and I'm already kind of doing that through Zoom, right? Where I can see exactly what's, you know, what's not working or which muscle isn't uh, activating, but virtual reality will just bring another dimension. Maybe they'll have some sort of suit on and I'll be able to see Okay, really see which muscles aren't working and it's just, it's going to be a space where the client and I can be sort of facing each other in this, you know, face to face, but not through a computer, it's going to be through the, the you know, the, the, the virtual reality environment.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's so much that can be done, like you were saying, right on Zoom, right? Somebody cycling and you can look at their position and how their head is and where their arms are on their bike. And is that what's causing all their pain? There's just a lot. And we really went through a phase change with COVID because there were a lot of people that were like, I'm sure I could do that, but I don't really know how. And I don't want to mess around with it. Now that's not even a part of people's thoughts. They've used it so much that it's ubiquitous in their lives.
0: Mm. And uh, no, I definitely, uh, it became a big part of my, my regular life and uh, at first i had no idea how it was going to work out i thought it was going to be a little weird not being with a person but then there's just so much more that i don't need to be there to for may- maybe 95 percent of what i have to teach so uh, it just worked out real really fine and i just you know through the chat i send uh, instruction videos so they can they can see what i want exactly and it's been uh it's been great
1: and so what is your exercise routine
0: like uh, I do a lot. I'm into Olympic weightlifting now. So it's brought, um, a little more of a sport aspect to it where I have, uh, but it's an individual sport, unlike hockey, which is, you know, you have teammates now it's me, it's me against me. And, uh, so everything I do revolves around increasing the weight for the different uh, Olympic lifts. And so I do that about maybe four or five times a week. And, uh, it's fun. It's, uh, you know, I was into bodybuilding and I, I still do love it. And I still have bodybuilding components into my, my routine, but, uh, I do a lot more snatches and and power cleans and stuff like that.
1: So if a guy like you, you know, you have all your movements down correctly and you're working on them and, um, do you still hate leg day?
0: No, I love it. But my you legs do. are, my legs are the, are the strongest, my strongest, uh, body parts. Yeah, but I don't, I don't hate any uh, any workout days, really. It's well, you always, must see uh,
1: people that hate leg day and, and have like, a, a, why is that? Why, why is it that people have such a strong aversion to leg day?
0: Few people train them, right? And they're such big muscles that when they do train them, they feel it. You know, the, the, the glutes, the quads, the hamstrings, they're just big, powerful muscles that for a lot of people who sit all day long, these muscles get even weaker over time. And so, you know, the moment that they train them through a full range of motion, uh, they're going to feel it. I had a client that felt it for five days after, after the workout, but once they do get stronger, then they start to love it a bit more because, you know, if your legs are stronger, life becomes a lot easier. Everything in life is easier and you just feel it in the way that you stand or when you walk, you have a more powerful stride. And so, they kind of get over that, that initial hatred for, for leg day, but it's always, you know, a lot of leg movements involve the upper body as well and the abs. And so you don't just get, you don't get sore from your legs, you get sore everywhere else. And so you get that extra level of soreness. Maybe that's what causes them to say that they hate it.
1: Yeah. My sense is that, uh, the, along with everything you've said is that, uh, legs are such a mental thing because like I at least do not use them properly, right? Like I'll bend my hips in some weird way or I'll arch my back or I'll, I'll do some weird thing. And so it's way, way less mentally taxing for me just to be doing curls or doing, you know, where I'm just lifting something above my head. Whereas when you're going down to do a squat, you're like, all right, hold my abs now keep my hips and now don't let my heels come off. And so I would imagine that eventually after several years, you're probably able to enter all those things without so much mental brain power. But that's the hardest part for me.
0: Of course, there's a a lot more coordination going on for movements like squats and and deadlifts. But uh, you have to do it. You have to, it's so important because especially as you get older, uh, mobility becomes a big thing, right? And, And by strengthening your legs, you make sure that for the next 10, 20 years, you're gonna be walking or you're gonna be walking properly or walking, you know, the weaker your legs are, the, the harder it is to walk and to, to move. And so you, you become lazier by default because you're not going to want to take that long walk or that hike, you know, to, to, to stay active because your legs are so weak that you won't even get there. So by, by training your legs, by strengthening your legs. And I work with a lot of, you know, people in their forties and fifties where they've never trained their legs before. and Now they're in pain. And by, by strengthening their legs, they actually fix a lot of their issues. It's just, the only problem that they had was that their legs couldn't support their upper body anymore. So it's just, uh, it's crucial. Yeah. And you must also
1: see a lot of people with things like really short hamstrings and the ways that you sit in your chair. So for all the people that right now are sitting and listening to you, and they're going to be sitting all day, what do they not realize about what that does to their body and in when they're trying to do regular movements?
0: Well, you're suffocating your two of your most powerful muscles, the glutes and the hamstrings, right? Because So you're sitting on the chair not only are you crushing the muscles against the against the chair but you're also just removing it from your whole system right so our brains are lazy we always look for the path of least resistance when you're supported by a chair you don't need your hamstrings and your glutes anymore and so what ends up happening is they just sort of and i say disconnected because when i when i assess people it's almost as if those muscles weren't part of their body anymore and you sort of have to sort of reconnect it through movement. And so, you know, the more you sit, the more your, your muscles become numb, so sort to of speak. And, and not only do you get weaker, but, uh, you know, you lose your, your, your hips' most important support. And uh, it just, uh, you know, you, you might get away with it for when you're 30s, even maybe in your mid-40s, mid but at some point it's going to catch up to you.
1: Yeah, you always pay for the cheating that you do, like the way that I sit in my chair and like if I'm not finding a way to actually sit down on the on the bone in the proper way, it just never works. So how uh, would you, if you were going to just be chatting with somebody to see like, hey, this is what I would test to see how flexible I am or, you know, how flexible should people be? How much mobility should they have if they're in their 40s or 50s? And how would they know?
0: That's a good question. Uh There's no, I mean, you know, obviously you have some people that are super mobile. Uh, You don't need to get to that level. You just need, I'd say a good metric is you should be able to sit comfortably in a deep squat position. That's probably the basic hip mobility, just overall mobility that you need. So can you stay at the bottom of a squat and stay there for a minute? You know, a lot of people can't, a lot of people, they can't even get into that bottom deep squat. Or once they do, it's very uncomfortable. Or and they start twitching, and they, they have to. They, some of them fall over or almost fall over, and so that's when you know that there's there that a critical point where their hips are going to be super tight very soon.
1: Oh, that's a really good one. That's that's actually something I'll try as soon as we get done
0: here to see how flexible I am. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. And I've seen so many different things happen when people try to, to hold a position. It's, uh, but you know, once they do get better, and once they do get more comfortable. Just overall, they feel much better.
1: So, if somebody was saying, Hey, I've decided I want to start trying to make some changes in my life, I don't need to be 100 pounds lighter, I just want to lose 20 pounds and I just want to feel better. What's the path that they should get on to, to try and make that a reality?
0: Start with walks, regular walks. See if you can do, you know, uh, three times 20 minutes in a week. Right? just a simple walk around your neighborhood if you can, so not everybody can do it necessarily but uh and then if you're able to you know to to maintain that habit if you're able to get it three times a week, then you can start thinking about exercise, but a walk in itself is very refreshing for the mind, it's very good for the body, it's a very good basic movement, and so it's a good place to start just see okay can i can I go on three walks during my week at least, and then if you get that, then okay, then can I do a short workout before my walks and then you sort of just add and add until you know you're able to do three to five times one hour in a week of, of uh, actual exercise and then on top of that you walk because the two go so well together
1: yeah i loved your uh tweets about um going for a walk and how much that does for your brain like that's a hundred percent for me i'm always feeling like oh i gotta just sit here and grind through work and if I were just to like go leash up my dog and go for a walk, I'll be able to solve that complicated problem in a matter of a few minutes. But you just like, uh, it's hard. It's like the voice of resistance saying like, nah, you're fine. Just keep you're working. Fine. You'll figure it out.
0: No, for sure. And uh, again, it's, it's, everybody's going to be different and there's the whole psychological aspect to it. But starting with something like a walk is probably the easiest, uh, the easiest, le- at least stressful way of doing it.
1: And so, tell me about uh, people that you've trained. What has changed about their lives now that they've uh, they've done a lot of exercise and they've been able to master this?
0: Well, one of the first feedback that I ever got as a young personal trainer was my client told me that he was able to pick up his son and hold him in the air, which is something that he, he had a shoulder and neck problem. And so, we strengthened all these different scapular muscles in his back. And he told me, you know, a few days later, he's like. I'm able to pick up my son up now. And it was, you know, two weeks of work that we had done. And he's like, it just kind of hit me like, wow, like I was able to do that for the person. And then, you know, obviously it's, you, you help them fix their sleep. You help them uh, feel like they're 20 years old. Again, that's something that someone's told me just by the way that they they move. Uh, You make their lives a lot easier. You increase their confidence. Uh, Their, their whole aura energy changes. I was training this uh, this man who was seven years old, and he was uh, he had been beaten up by life. Uh, he had cancer, heart attacks, all sorts of different things, and he had never exercised before, and he started. And when he first came into my my studio, he was walking you know super slowly, super, almost green, gray tint, you know. And uh, two, three months later, he was unrecognizable. He had a glow to himself. He was walking, you know he had sunglasses, and he was happy. And so just it, it fixes so many different uh, systems that the gains that you make in the gym or, or through exercise will radiate into other parts of your life, whether it's work, whether it's your mood, whether it's, you know, your, your personal relations. And uh, so it's, it's always, you know, the feedback is the best part.
1: Yeah. I think that uh, you don't realize if you've stopped exercising, cause I was in my, I don't know, probably from 23 till 30. 30- three, maybe even longer. I didn't exercise at all. And you eventually hit this point where it's your baseline. You think like, I am not capable of feeling better than this. Like, it's just, it's not possible. I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just tired or I'm just da 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 And then once you start exercising, you realize like, oh my gosh, I don't ever want to go back. And it doesn't mean that you don't have backslides. Everybody does. You have a kid, you have holidays, you have things that happen, but like once you know that your baseline is not feeling crappy or sore all the time, it's it's uh, it becomes. Not, I, I wish it was an addiction, but it's not because it, that would mean that it was easy. But it definitely is something where you you know what you're missing when it's not there now.
0: And a lot of times, I'll, I'll work with someone and then they stop for whatever reason, but then they come back, you know, a few months, even a few years later, and they're like, I got to start again because they have felt what it's like you said, they felt good for the first time in a long time and, but then they stop and they they go back to that feeling. But because they have that reference point now, they know that it's possible not to feel like that. And so it it begins the, the process of, of being consistent. But like I said, it could take many years for some people to get there.
1: Well, if people wanted to learn more about the uh, online school of exercise, where would they go?
0: uh the online school of exercise dot com and uh my twitter feed uh at my thought food. My uh, thought
1: food man that is one of the great Twitter feeds I love it I hope you just keep going uh, to me it's like uh, a gift you're giving the universe by putting that stuff out there. I really enjoy your Twitter feed.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Well Alex Bernier thank you so much for uh for coming on the podcast I really appreciate you taking the time hope things go okay up there in uh, socialist Canada for you <laughs>
0: We'll be good, we'll be all right. Uh, But thank you for having me. It was a great uh, chatting with you, (laughs) Vance.